Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along for the ride for the next three hours. And boy, have we got some stuff to talk about. Thanks for being with us. Show streaming online at supertalk.fm. If you miss any of it, you can always go back and listen on demand or download it in podcast form wherever you get your podcast. Got the whole crew today, plus one, coming up in the uh, 4 o'clock hour. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey is back. Welcome back. Thanks. You, uh, you've been gone for a while. Did you have a good uh, Christmas and good New Year? Yeah, it was nice. So you spent a little time at Top Golf. I did. I finally did the Top Golf in Fort Worth, which is where I was for the last week. It's pretty nice. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Yep. And uh, shot some hoops on an outdoor court outside under the bridge. Did went to an art exhibit uh, that turned out to be all nudes. Uh, so I, I better educated myself. <laughs> Way to bury the lead there, man. <laughs> yeah. So I went to this art exhibit because uh, I figured if. If, this was not your choice. No, my girlfriend she she wanted to watch. She let me watch all the playoff games. Okay, and so I was like, well. And then she mentioned this art exhibit in town. I was like, honestly, she was like, actually, I I don't want you to go because you're just going to make smart aleck comments the whole time. And I was like, no, 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 I, I got this. And so I walk in there, not really knowing what to expect, and I'm walking around and just different breed of citizen inside this place. Like I'm very much a fish out of water. Like. You know, people writing notes, weird-looking hats, like writing notes. The big thing to do at art is to stare at the photo and then and then take notes of it. Yeah, I, I didn't have one of those, but I'm just look walking around like a fish out of water. Now, walk in the actual exhibit. There's not a shred of clothing to be found on any canvas in there. Just all nudes. And if you think I'm embellishing this, it's a fellow named Renoir who is credited via. He's Wikipedia kind of a big deal, for, I think, for bringing the nudes back to the classical age is what he uh, is what he's credited for. So I spent about 45 minutes in there walking around. You know, I mean, I got like six you 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 kept your clothes on though. Yes, I did, but I got six or seven in. And I was like, why are these people naked? And she's like, that's what this is. I was, so. Uh, Got educated, but pro- so, sounds like we know what kind of art's going to be hanging on the walls in your future home one day. Uh, I hope not, because that was uh yeah. I, I don't need to be wandering through the halls like that. I mean, it's like he didn't really get what I was going for there, but nevertheless, no, no. But anyway, yeah, you, you I don't know. Take it's like the dark places on the internet, but in like medieval times. Yeah, I was trying to describe this guy on the podcast. Like, I, it feels like this guy, like Renoir in the twenty first century, like probably a couple warrants, maybe a strip club in West Jackson, chain, weird hat. Like, you think he was a pervert? I don't know. He had a lot of. <laughs> it's it it pretty much all people in bathtubs. That's what I didn't understand. Where are we going on this date, Big Daddies? It's art. Let's go. Jeez. So, uh, yeah. Now we're all burying the lead, although that was fascinating. Yesterday, the conversation was what if, could it be, will it be? Yeah, kind of feels like it might. Today, well, it's done. 
Mississippi State having a press conference after the news was released earlier this morning that Joe Moorhead will not return as head football coach at Mississippi State. John Cohen talked for a little while today with the media, and then he hit the road, immediately going out to find the next football coach at Mississippi State. Hey, Dad, when did you realize it was done? Uh, last night when uh, you see Ross Dellinger and Pete Thamel, and they're all tweeting the same thing at the same time, that means the horse is out of the barn, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Felt like that um, some of the wording on those those tweets, uh, I think it was Pete Thamel's that said Mississippi State was exploring the possibility of firing Joe Moorhead. Well, I, I called you after I saw that, and I thought, yeah. and, and I said to you, and I think you had reached the exact same conclusion, this thing's done. You don't let the news get out yeah. that you're exploring firing somebody because there is no putting that toothpaste back in the tube. I'm pretty sure you and I couldn't go talk to our wives, but I'm exploring the process of divorcing you. I'm pretty sure the process would be uh, expedited at that point. So, yeah, one, once once that was said, I mean, how do you come back from that if you're Joe Moorhead? You can't. So I, I woke up this morning fully expecting to get the news that – uh Joe Moorhead would be fired. I came out. I don't even remember what time it happened. And Brett McMurphy had the first report, and it went from there. I got the confirmation that I needed, and that's what I've been doing all day. Yeah, and you know, especially considering that it kind of feels like they explored the possibility of firing him six weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we asked John Cohen about that, and he just basically the term he kept coming up with was a series of events made us led us to this conclusion. What was so, your takeaway from the press conference today? And, and, and let me time out, press time for a second. We're going to play John Cohen's press conference for you in its entirety with all the questions that were asked and his answers um, coming up. I don't know if we're going to do that right away, if we're going to hold it maybe until the 5 o'clock hour. We've got a bunch of moving parts this afternoon. Deuce McAllister is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We're going to talk with Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated to uh, start the 4 o'clock hour. I mentioned we were 4 plus 1 today. Joel Coleman is going to jump in studio with Hey Dad uh, starting a little bit after 4 o'clock as well. And uh, we'll talk with Joel some about uh, about this process as well. So with all that said, and knowing that we're going to play it for everybody to hear it in case you missed it earlier today, what was your takeaway? I thought there were some positives and some negatives. I thought you know he, he did a good job of sort of outlining without saying it entirely, which you can't do why Joe Moorhead had to go, that there were some issues as far as the we've been using the word culture a lot, discipline, however you want to put it, within the program itself that were he felt on the verge of possibly getting out of control. That said, he, there were some questions that were asked I thought he could have given some, some different kind of answers to. The one that you pointed out on Twitter specifically about uh, Joe Moorhead possibly signing an extension, he, he just didn't answer the question. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, Joel and, Coleman uh, asked him, he said... Uh, Hey, after the uh, Egg Bowl, there was news that you guys were extending him back out to four years. Did that extension get signed? And John Cohen said, eh, "I'm I'm not going to get into that." Well, why yeah, not? I thought, I thought that was a little odd, but but, but well, don't for you the have most your part, answer? I thought, yeah. If it was a no, you just say no. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I I don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer because think, he didn't answer the question. I think you got the answer though. We're going to use some context clues, is what our our English teachers would tell us. Hey, Dad, you said a second ago he could not say some things. Why could he not say some things? Well, I mean, you're not going to bury the guy on the way out the door, I don't think. You know, if, if he's he's already been fired, you know. But what do I was, you know, people order a well-done steak. It's already dead. You don't have to kill it twice. It, he, he's gone. So I, I think that there were obviously some issues with discipline, 
with sort of maybe inmates running the asylum might be a bit harsh, but the players seem to have a little bit more control. You see the way they've they've reacted to things on social media. These are things that never happened under Dan Mullen. Uh, that there was just a different standard for discipline. It seemed you know there was always a lot of talk that Moorhead was a players' coach, was very tight with the players, but you got to be the the leader too. You got to be the guy who you know that they you know there's got to be a little bit edge of fear. And you, you saw you heard uh, Cohen say that he said talk about having a hard edge to the next coach. And I, I just get the impression that that John Cohen believed that Joe Moorhead didn't have as tight a grip on the program as he wanted him to. Why did why did John Cohen? repeatedly go to Mississippi State is a unique place, this is a different place, and we've got to get somebody that understands what Mississippi State is. Is it really a unique place and a different place, or is it just another one of 60 or so Power 5 jobs and one of 14 SEC jobs? That's a it, It's one of 14 SEC jobs. It's a good job. It's an attractive job. What's the need to point out that, oh, it's different here? Well, what what that, is the well, difference? I mean, well, everybody, everybody's going to point out, oh, we're you know a unique place. I mean, that's just that's everybody does that. I don't have an issue with that. I think what he was trying to say is, and this is the thing that came out in all the articles. No, today, I, I don't have an issue with it either. I'm just I, as somebody who's been around it for a really long time. What, what's he talking about? What what's he, different at Mississippi State than at Ole Miss, Arkansas, Georgia, LSU? He, he he's talking about at Mississippi State. There's just an expectation that the teams are going to be – Ole Miss under Hugh Freeze was a finesse team. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Texas A&M under some was a finesse team. MSU under Mullen was a physical football team, and he felt like that had got – I think most MSU fans feel like it, that had gotten away. State was not a physical football team. They were not the ones throwing – no pun intended – throwing the first mm-hmm. punch when, uh, when they went to, to play teams. And I think that's something that – MSU fans want. They wanted to be a team. They have always known success as a team that ran the ball and played defense. When State's been good, they've run the ball well, they've played defense. That wasn't happening this past season. It felt like it was getting away under Moorhead, which is sort of ironic because you hired him as a guy you thought was going to bring the passing game up to speed. But I think that's what he's trying to say more than anything else, that Mississippi uh, okay. State fans are, are – go ahead. No, I don't want to quibble with what you're saying. And, okay. and so please don't take it this way. But – if state fans want to see a team that runs the ball and plays defense, last year had the number one defense in the country and ran the ball well with Nick Fitzgerald, and this year were a better bowl game performance from having the single season all time leading rusher in Kylan Hill, just didn't get it done at the end. So mm-hmm. those things were there, weren't they? They were there last year. They felt like you, even with Kylan Hill. You weren't the same physical running team you, you were before. You were getting yards, but it was just, if you watched the offense, it was different. Okay. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. This winter, skip the waiting room and beat cold and flu season faster with Ceasefire Health. Download the app and schedule a visit to connect with a trusted UMMC clinician right from your phone. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Cspire, customer inspired. We're back right after this. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at Super Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Sorry, I was um, was reading at the exact same time. Um, 
We're going to get to a bunch of your messages on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395 is the number if you would like to jump in and be a part of the conversation. You know, when you have a change at football coach, there are two things that you kind of process and you try to process quickly and you transition from one to the other, hey, Dad, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. The first is the news of the firing and kind of the collateral that goes along with that and the you know obligatory questions about, well, why did you do it? And, you know, what were the reasons? And people are excited about a change, but then pretty quickly you transition to, okay, who's next, what's next? And that's the transition that John Cohen is making right now, immediately going into coaching search mode, said that it had already begun prior to the press conference earlier uh, earlier today. So let's just kind of take our first stab at names that are out there that are floating around that you think make some sense, and we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, obviously the name that everybody is talking about right now is Billy Napier, the head coach at the University of Louisiana. Uh, been in the SEC before with uh, with Nick Saban, also coached at Clemson with Dabo, uh, you know, plus recruiter, runs an offensive system, I think, that would translate easily to the talent State has on campus right now. Um, only uh, if there's a drawback to him, it's just that he would like to coach his bowl game, which is on January 6th, so you can't get that immediate impact guy, you know, today or tomorrow that, you you know, you can't have a deal ready. But he seems to check a lot of the boxes. Um the number two guy, in my opinion, would be Mark Hudspeth, who's, of course, been at MSU before as an assistant. He was on Moorhead's first staff. He was on uh, Dan Mullen's first staff. He's now at Austin P. He took them in pre, the... Uh, pre, he was the head coach before Billy Napier at Louisiana. That's right, yeah. Uh, you know, Mississippi State guy, uh, has been successful in most of his stops, I think all of his stops. Um uh, Again, a guy who, you know, I think would recruit really well in the state of Mississippi. I mean, he's from Louisville, Mississippi, or from that area. So he's he seems like a, a sort of a fail-safe option. If, if, if you go after Napier and he's not interested for whatever reason, uh, Hudspeth seems like a guy who, who would definitely be interested in the job. Um, another guy whose name has come up a few times is Todd Grantham, who, of course, defensive coordinator at Florida. I was at MSU again for a year. Um, if State decided to go the defensive route with a head coach, I think that would be an interesting path to follow it's not a, i am not a fan of that myself i'm always a get an offensive Ooh. head coach and he runs and hot the, too doesn't he he does but you talk about that msu you know sort of the hard-nosed kind of mentality i think he would fit that another plus for him if, if he would be interested in the job his son uh, has signed a baseball scholarship with mississippi state will be here i think next year so you know, be okay. right there to, to watch to watch his kid um i think he's sort of the long shot and all this and you'll, you'll hear some other names uh Thrown out there, I'm sure. You know, I, I like to throw Houston Nuts' name out there just so I don't get sued. Um, but those, to me, and I really do think most of the uh, the chips are, are in front of Billy Napier, and then it's just sort of you know if he says no, they'll figure it out. But he's going to be the first offer, I would imagine. Is the candidate pool shrunk because of the timing? You have to think a little bit, don't you? I mean, uh, somebody like Drinkwitz would have probably been a candidate. Uh, I don't know that Lane Kiffin would have been a candidate, but I mean, it's certainly somebody you would have reached out to. He's a very viable candidate. You know, he has a has a good resume. I don't know that. He, again, if we're going to go back to what makes Mississippi State unique, I don't know that Lane Kiffin fits into that, and that's not a shot at Lane Kiffin or at Ole Miss or anybody else. But if I said, "Hey, do you see Lane Kiffin as a Mississippi State guy?" Who would say yes? Very few people. Huh. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just that's just the fact of the matter. So yeah, I mean, obviously the, the there, there's pool. there's one name that you've not mentioned. The pirate, For Mike Leach. Oh. I just don't I just don't see that happening. No, that's oh, not that who not I was Mike talking Le- about. Who are you talking about? Talking about a guy that's from the state of Mississippi. Oh, here okay. we go. Has had success on the field in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> understands how to win. Walks on water Fingers in the crossed. state of Mississippi. Fingers crossed. Loves uh, searching himself on Twitter. I, 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 you know what? Just for sheer entertainment value, it would be really, really funny. Don't think it's going to happen. Can't see it happening. But, buddy, that first press conference would be – I would expect to see Richard Cross at that first press conference. I'll just put it that way. It would be an you, interesting hire. You, you know, yeah. I I don't know if I would go or not. I might. You that's 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 big news. You got to show up for that. Um, expound on that, Rippy. You said it would be an interesting hire. Well, I mean, both of these jobs here are perceived as hard to win at in the SEC West, and he won at a level that Ole Miss isn't necessarily accustomed to winning. Why wouldn't you be able to do it in Starkville? I think he'd win, but that said, there there is a. The odds of him getting the job and me getting the job are pretty much the same. Greg in Columbus. He says Greg Knox is undefeated in bowl games at Mississippi State. <laughs> That's a good choice. Somebody, uh, Justin here from uh, the 662. Joe Judge is a name I definitely should throw out. Uh, Patriots special teams coordinator, MSU, former football player here at Mississippi State. Uh, has been on the Belichick system for a long, long time. And I, I would be honest with you, if Moorhead, you know, when they hired Moorhead, it, they felt like it was a gamble because he wasn't from the South and he didn't have the typical SEC resume. I don't, I, if that had not been the case, if they had hired Jeremy Pruitt and it just hadn't worked out and they let him go after two years, Judge could be a guy you go after because he's interesting. He's never even been a coordinator, but there's a lot of buzz around him right now. Um, but that said, I think after Moorhead, I don't know that you can go the, the, the experiment route again. I'm I'm sorry, JT just a second ago said, who are y'all talking about that's from Mississippi? I'm sorry, we're talking about Hugh Freeze. Reverend. <laughs> um, for, forgive me for not, uh, for not spelling that out. Did you see that he said uh, after the season was over that he probably shouldn't have coached from a hospital bed because it probably didn't do the team any good? You think? Took you 13 boy, weeks for some self-awareness, now, but congratulations. Wait, hold yeah, hold on, though. He's evolving. I, like, mean that halfway <laughs> seriously. He admitted that? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Well, because he searched his own name leaf. and realized Perhaps that most people colored one. were ridiculing it instead of commending it. So Yeah. Well, I mean. All right, just a bunch of names that have gotten thrown at us as we were having this conversation. One was Scott Satterfield. Okay, I'm not going to leave Louisville after one year, I would think. No, no, no. When, when you know, I'm I'm going to do my best not to like draw comparisons. It, we we've talked about it multiple times this week. The inevitable comparisons between Ole Miss and Mississippi State, mm-hmm. just because of proximity and everything else. I'm going to try to not draw comparisons, but there are some things that I learned during the coaching process about different candidates or names that were floating around out there that I do think carry over. One about Scott Satterfield when his name was mentioned in relation to the Ole Miss job, was basically, yeah, right. That guy's not leaving Louisville until it is for a monster job. Yeah, and he'll Whether it's in the Big Ten or the ACC or whatever. 
that's a guy that going back to the, when Moorhead was hired that I was very high on. So, but it's, yep. that that ship has definitely sailed. Yep. Uh, Joe Brady's name people. is obviously on here. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just saying there were a couple people I was talking to during the like whole Luke thing, and even kind of a little bit before that when all that smoke on Thanksgiving night about Moorhead in like coach like in around like the programs here in this state, and they thought Napier would be a like picture perfect fit at state. Yeah. I said that very like similarly. Yeah. Well, and I'll just be honest with you. Re- rewinding to the Egg Bowl, when you had the rumors floating around that regardless of outcome, Joe Moorhead was done after that ball game. Yeah. And people were led to believe that Billy Napier is the guy that was going to be hired. And and you even had the folks who were saying, oh, it's already done. They've already negotiated. It's a done deal. Yeah. When you hear that, that probably is the point at which you go, okay, I'm not talking to you anymore. Right. But my reaction then and my reaction now is maybe not the splashiest hire ever. Good football coach. And I had someone tell me, and th- this person felt this way about the old Miss job, and certainly feels about it as well. That they had someone that was close to Billy Napier who had worked with the Alabama program. And their comment about Billy Napier was out of the Saban assistance tree. And that includes Kirby at Georgia, and that includes Jim McElwain, and it includes whoever else that's coached under Saban it has gone on to be a head coach. Without question... Billy Napier was the best of the bunch. Not saying that to blow smoke. That's just what was said to me. I don't know Billy Napier. I do have someone that I know that knows him quite well that thinks he is going to be a home run hire wherever he ends up in the SEC and badly wanted him to get the Ole Miss job. So Saban assistants, Saban assistants haven't been able to beat Saban, but they have been able to win. We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi. phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We'll step away from the conversation about Mississippi State just for a few minutes and chat with our friend Deuce McAllister from the New Orleans Saints Radio Network, former All-American at Ole Miss, all-time leading rusher in Saints history, and all-around good dude. Deuce, you were two and a half inches, maybe an inch and three quarters, from being able to go on vacation if you wanted to this weekend. Instead, there's football. That could be very, very frustrating in a lot of senses. <laughs> <laughs> this could have been a beach weekend for you. I could have been watching it and, and just laying back enjoying it, knowing that uh, you were thinking, hey, look, we'll host somebody next week. But, I mean, that, that's what the game really is. It's about inches. And, you know, you had two opportunities really with both teams, Detroit, you know, coming up, uh, leading pretty much all game except right there at the end, the walk-off fashion. And then you talk about um, – the San Francisco-Seattle game and basically how that ended. And, uh, you know, frustrating to say the least. Even though it would have meant so much for the Saints, were you able to kind of separate yourself just as a former player and as a football fan and watch that game and, and just kind of when it was all said and done go, man, what a game. 
Oh, it was definitely a game. I think and you you go back and look at it and you just see how good both of those teams are and just how hard it is to win in the NFL. And I think sometimes you take it for granted. I think, you know, sometimes you look at it and say, oh, well, this team is, is not playing very hard. And, and, and sometimes that is the case. But I think when you guys know that there is something truly on the line, that you see the best of the game. And that's definitely what happened in really both of those cases. And, uh, you know, even, even if you are or were a fan of the Golden Saints, and we knew where your allegiance was. You just still had to appreciate the effort and, you know, just the strategy in a lot of ways, you know, just how, how close it is from winning and losing in, this, in, the, in the NFL. So what is the mindset for the Saints, or what was the mindset as they watched that game and, and kind of had the results with Green Bay-Detroit happening as well, knowing – that they need one outcome, and if they get that, A, you get a week off, you get a chance to maybe get a little bit more healthy, and the road to the Super Bowl is a little bit easier versus having to immediately shift back into gear and get ready for a ball game. What's that like mentally? Tough. From a mental standpoint, it's you having to take care of your own business, and you know you put yourself really in that situation where you had to depend on other teams, and so from an emotional side of it, it's just a roller coaster. It's up and down, up and down. But at the end of the day, you knew that you had to refocus and say, okay, it didn't go our way. Now I have to take care of my own business, and you know leave it into your own hands. It would have been great to be able to get to buy and be able to, you know, at least host one uh, divisional game, if possibly not both divisional games, but it didn't happen. And so, you know, for this team, they have to take care of this week, and then you'll basically go on the road for the next two weeks. So the reality is it's the Vikings just after noon on Sunday for the uh, kickoff. You know the atmosphere inside the Dome is going to be fantastic. Maybe the last chance to watch this team in New Orleans uh, this season unless you know, a bunch of bounces kind of come their way and, and things shake out. Where do you start? when you're kind of looking at this matchup, breaking down the important position battles, where, where does it begin? It starts with Dalvin Cook. I think it starts with Dalvin Cook and being able to really take him away. Uh, and, and if you do that, then you put the pressure on Kirk Cousins. And he's just been hes been up and down as a player. He's been outstanding when he can be a, uh, a, a passer that feeds off of the uh, play action. I mean, obviously he has some really, really good receivers. Uh, in, in my opinion, not just uh, Pro Bowl, but all pro and D-line and digs. And then you throw in uh, the tight end. And they, they have a really, really good skill set. But, you know, they have been so much of a different team when they can run the football um, with, with Dalvin Cook. And so that's where it really starts for the Saints. When you look at it from a defensive standpoint, uh, you have to be able to stop those defensive ends. Daniel Hunter and, you know, what they do with him as far as a defensive end, Everson Griffinson as the other defensive end, he can slide inside. You know, the Saints have been really good uh, with elite DNs. I mean, so that's always going to be a challenge, but you you really like it with your bookend tackles, Ryan Ramchick and, and Teron Armstead. So, you know, you, you feel like you can slow them down there. They did rule out two of their top corners today. That does not help whatsoever. So, I mean, you figure Sean and those guys are going to try to spread them out and pick on some of the guys that haven't normally played a lot as far as the second day uh, is concerned. But I think it starts with slowing down those defensive ends. Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Talking about the matchup with the Vikings and the Saints Sunday, five minutes after noon, the kickoff in the Dome. So you said down two corners. That seems suboptimal when you're dealing with a guy like Michael Thomas. 
definitely not the best situation, but I figure that Mike, Mike is going to get bracketed anyway. You know, that, that's how a lot of teams, uh, particularly Tennessee, tried to play him. Uh, you know, and even, even Carolina, your last game, they tried to do it. They just didn't have the personnel, but you know, at least the Vikings have that type of personnel, and they're going to force someone else to beat him. That's why a guy like Dalvin Cook, and you talk about Traquan Smith and Tiggin Jr., some of those guys are going to have to step up. You know, you figure they'll, they'll, they'll try to chip Alvin out as far as he's releasing from the backfield, and he'll even draw maybe a corner and or safety. Uh, Harrison Smith is elite cover corner. I mean, cover safety. So you figure that's who will be lined up on Alvin. So those other guys that I mentioned, they have to be able to step up and make a play for you. Deuce, you say going to be the game plan to, to take away Michael Thomas. But isn't that everybody's game plan? And yet he's still been able to go for 1,725 yards, 149 catches. I mean, the, the numbers are just eye-popping. So how is that possible? I mean, is it just physically he's different? Is it mentally that he's different? Does he understand the game in a different way to be able to be the focus of everybody's scouting report and still go do what he did this season? I think it's a lot of the same of what you talked about. I mean, it's one thing to say we're going to take him away and have the personnel to take him away. You know, I think okay. that, that's really what happens. And then if you go and look, his ability to play in the slot as well as outside has helped him tremendously. Yeah. And I guess there aren't that many guys that move around like that, right? I mean, usually you're either an outside guy or a slot guy, but you're not a lead at both of those? That's exactly right. I mean, his his size definitely helps him to be able to handle press coverage. But then if they can put him in the slot, then normally, you know, a lot of the elite corners, they don't travel to the slot. They like to be either outside. You, it, It's very rare that you have a corner that can play inside and outside. And so with his ability to be able to line up and play multiple positions, that makes it tough against defenses on how they have to cover him. You may think this is a dumb question, so forgive me if it is. We talk sometimes with college players, you know, you'd rather play at night because the atmosphere is a little bit better. Or some guys would just rather always play early because you don't have to sit around the hotel, you know, all day. What what about in the NFL? Does when you play a game, like time of day, make a difference to players in the NFL? I think so. I mean, it's really about the fan participation. (laughs) You know, particularly if you're, you're, you're at the home team. You want to allow your fans really to be able to get up and be into it. You know, if you're the Saints, you would prefer this game to be at night. But, I mean, since it's always going to be up to TV, you know, when they set those times, you have to really roll with it. You know, some guys want to get up and be able to go out and get ready and go and play. But, you know, if the fans are going to be in it early, then great. I mean, traditionally, the, the Huda Nation, uh, they've got accustomed to playing the late games. So we've yeah. got to make sure that, that that dome is electrifying just because it is an earlier game and, you know, you don't want Minnesota to be comfortable in that setting knowing what's on the line. Barring an upset that gives them another home game and a playoff run, is this the last time that Drew Brees will play quarterback for the Saints in the Dome? I don't think so. I think that they I think they really? something worked out. You know, that's if Drew wants to come back and play again. And you think he does? It, it, it kind of seems you know, like it from right afar. Now, I mean, obviously, playoffs will play, play a factor in that, but I do think so. Hmm. If, if a perfect scenario unfolded with the Saints walking off the field in Miami with the Lombardi Trophy, would that then be the right time to ride off into the sunset? Yeah, I, I think that changes it. You know, and I think, you know, that's, that's probably the one way that changes everything for him. But as it sits now, 
you know, and obviously that will be a decision that he and his wife kind of sit down and make, I think that he would continue to play. Great stuff. Deuce, you're the best, man. Thanks for your time this afternoon. No problem. Thank you for having me. Deuce McAllister, color analyst on the New Orleans Saints radio network. If you've never listened to the uh, the Saints radio broadcast, it's fun. Borky, I know you've listened to them a, a bunch along the way. They have a good time, and it, it's not it's not the sterile, stereotypical professional broadcast that you might think. I mean, they do a great job. It's professional, but they have a good time with it. Yeah, I think it's partially because they hired a couple of guys that aren't broadcasters. I mean, Zach Streif played offensive line there until he took that job, and then obviously Deuce was a running back. So it's unconventional, I guess would be the word to use. Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised with Zach Streif, kind of from like a technical standpoint. It's pretty good. Significantly better, too. I think it was, oh gosh, what game was it? Um, Where you could hear it in Deuce's voice. When they beat the Panthers at home, they kicked that game-winning field goal. When, for some reason, Sean Payton wasn't calling a timeout, I mean, you could hear the agony in his voice, and I was in the car listening to it, just laughing at it. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm, so a quick step away there. Looking to the Saints and the NFL for this weekend, we will get back to the conversation at hand in the state of Mississippi today. Joe Moorhead out as head football coach at Mississippi State. Who will be next? What were the reasons? What are you looking for going forward? All of that as we continued uh, for a little more than two more hours on this Friday afternoon. Hey, Borky, I just missed the note that you had here in the uh, the rundown today. I'm going to read it verbatim. For 353, it says, We'll talk Moorhead for most of the day, but if you want to change the pace here, please ask Rippy about his experience at an art show recently. It's gold. I'm glad we got that taken care of like right out of the gate. Wait, what? Do you want to tell the story again? <laughs> you should come no. back in the 5 o'clock hour, new, new listeners at that point. I mean, it's really not that adventurous. I just, I'm never probably voluntarily going back to an art show. It was interesting to people. Hold on. You get to hang out with your girlfriend and look at nudes for 45 minutes and everybody was good with it. Now you say you'll never go back? So you're allowed to say nudes on air? Yes, I think nude is acceptable. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, ne- naked also would work. Yeah, but it's mostly just. That's two K's and I and a D. It's mostly just 18th century people in bathtubs. Like, it, it all looked the same. And then I, what I didn't understand. So in the 18th century, they all, like, bathed down in the creek anyway. No, no, these were in tubs. Unless this guy is fictionizing his paintings, they they were very much in marble tubs, it appeared. I don't know. All I'm saying is, every single Did one. Did you of take them, notes? No, I did not take any notes. I my girlfriend had the whole audio book, like the whole audio thing going, and the guy at the door was like, "You want one of these?" I was like, "I'm good, Chief. I'm just here for the ride." Did you call him Chief? <laughs> no, I just kind of gave him up. And then, like, do, do you think the audio recording was um, maybe R-rated or worse? Well, like she, like, she or do you was, think it was all art she history? Would put the thing down and she'd be like, "You see how like some of these like." paintings like the, he focused on the imperfections of the women i was like yeah i bet that's what he wants you to think and then there was <laughs> I, what i didn't understand what i didn't understand You're was so flawed, every single painting you. had a different d- description and the title had nude in it and i'm like is it really necessary to to put you know hey this as, one's as, a, as if we wouldn't this have one's known a otherwise too after uh, the last 80 like everything else in this room it's like <laughs> I, I get it man we're in for sale 
Uh, no, I don't believe anyone for sale. I did look it up after one of those things sold for seventy million. So like, I don't really know. I'm sorry, a seventy followed by two commas with six zeros. Yes, that's what I'm told. Uh, this Renoir fella, in addition to being a horn dog, was a rich horn dog. So, <laughs> well, I doubt he was paid seventy million for his work in the 18th He's century. He's dead. Well, he needs to learn about capitalism. Then why would he not get paid for it? Because he's a college athlete. My, my, my guess is that $70 million was not the going rate at the time. All, I don't know. He was paid All with three baguettes. <laughs> but then there, there was one guy in like a very interesting hat that was like kind of like basically mansplaining what the paintings actually meant and just basically saying to hell with the uh, description of it. I was like, what does this guy do on the weekends? I bet he couldn't spit takes about the NFL in front of a microphone, but... You know, it's here nor there. I just got a message from a buddy. He says, if you're in the market for it, he can get us nudes for less than $70 million. I, I, I probably would They're free on the Internet. What are you talking about? That's what I'm saying. So this guy, like a founding father of some Internet websites because he was before his time? I, I don't know. Okay. Maybe well, it was the preferred medium of the day. Well, this Renoir fella had it going on. He was a $70 millionaire or eight eight-figure millionaire. Would have been. You don't know whether he was or not. You don't know what P Pierre Auguste had in his 401k. <laughs> That's his first name. I just figured that out. Pierre today. Auguste? Yeah. Auguste? Or Auguste? It, it may be Auguste. <laughs> Auguste. I don't know. I, all I saw was Renoir, and I was like, oh, this is probably the cat that cut off his ear. But apparently that's not him. Who is that? Van Gogh. Another mm. French guy. Yeah. So, it's a great day. Probably not going back. You're thinking about taking up painting? No, I'm not painting. That's right. It's, it's different than modern art where you splatter a bunch of stuff on a screen, a, a, a canvas, and then people are like, just oh, tape a beautiful. banana to the wall. Yeah, exactly. Like this one, you can, since it was people, you could at least tell. Like, I'm not sketching that up during a commercial break here in studio here. Like, that looked like it took time. I can see why it's expensive. $70 million, I don't really know. Yeah, Google that's, says that's definitely not all he did. Maybe the organizer of the show was the perv. What do you mean that's not all he did? I, I have a hundred pieces of evidence that's what man, he did. Man, I'm looking I'm not, at portraits and flowers and stuff and buildings, all of these things that are famous paintings of his that he did. Oh, you actually, jokes Renoir on you, you uncultured swine. I read uh, about this in the exhibit. There was, a, uh, there was a wave of conservatism in the early 1900s to where they went back and painted clothes on all the things. So uh, He did get these the audio people undressed he and dressing paintings left and right. Anyway, I hate to burst your bubble there, Mr. Enlightenment, but apparently Van Gogh was Dutch, not French. Ah, could have fooled me. Still can't hear. <laughs> At least not out of that ear. Talking to my good ear, son. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line coming up in just a couple of moments. He, uh, he just got back from uh, New York City. Took Is in he an aficionado. We can talk to him about this. I don't know. We'll ask him if he checked out MoMA while he was in New York. Checked he did check out uh, the Metropolitan Museum for Modern Art. Ah. MoMA. No, no, two FOMO, different things. I'm sorry. MoMA. There is the Met, which is the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and then MoMA, which is the Modern Art Museum by Central Park. Sounds terrible. Hey, maybe nobody wears their clothes there. <laughs> I know one place where they don't. Ross Dellinger is next, and we'll dive back into more Joe Moorhead Mississippi State stuff after that. 
Ceasefire text line experience healthcare on call with the Ceasefire Health app. Skip the waiting room and get treated by a UMMC clinician right from your phone from anywhere in Mississippi. Plus, for a limited time, if you're a Ceasefire customer, a visit is just $29. Learn more at ceasefirehealth.com. Ross Dellinger is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Before we do that, I want to read two text messages. The first one is from Will and Eupora, who did clarify that we could actually read this text on the air, unlike earlier in the week. My bad. He says, I googled my middle name in school, and apparently William Bailey is also a famous nude artist. And from uh, 615 area code, I think that's Nashville. Yikes. Wait till Rippy's liberal buddies in the Me Too movement find out he patronized ex- an exhibit exploiting 100-year-old women bathing. Hashtag feel the burn, B-E-R-N, Rippy. Yeah, I just went to an art show to score brownie points, but don't tell Gallo. And with that, we <laughs> go to the Farm Bureau phone line to check in with our buddy, Ross Dellinger, who says, what am I walking into? What's up, Ross? Hey. Yes, <laughs> you're, uh, you're having a great time today on the show. Deli, apparently Rippy, uh, who spent the week with his girlfriend in Dallas, went to a, uh, a nude art exhibit and learned a lot. Unknowingly. A lot of Renoir stuff. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, quickly, before we jump into football, you, 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 you write for a living, you paint word pictures, paint me a word picture New Year's Eve in Times Square. What does it look like? Mm. Well, thankfully, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't down down there with the masses. Uh, I, I wasn't going to do that. Um, I heard how crazy that is. So we uh, we had like a little kind of a a private party that we paid to to get in that had a balcony that kind of overlooked the uh, ball drop, and so it was really really cool and kind of away from the craziness uh still crazy but not as uh crazy we had a nice but you know we had access to a bathroom and we had uh <laughs> that's a plus and drink and all that stuff so it was a little different than the normal probably Times square experience yeah i think i'm more interested in your Times square experience than standing down there with a sparkler on my head yes for sure and, and we had heard kind of horror stories about that so we uh we, we hopefully we you know it seems like we made the right move no doubt. All right. So you were on your way from New York. Phone starts blowing up, and you're starting to hear Mississippi State maybe making a change. Obviously, they have made a change. What do you know? What's your reaction? Yeah, you know, yesterday morning, I think it kind of started to uh, to seep out and, and getting text and, and some calls about it. And it just kind of got louder throughout the day, you know, and um it was hard to see uh john cohen obviously after the egg bowl you know met with with uh, joe moorhead that saturday after the egg bowl and i think expressed um his commitment to him in moving forward and and uh discussed uh the future with joe at the helm and um so yesterday when all that was going on it was uh it was weird to kind of to hear it um thinking that Surely John's not going to kind of go back, you know, on on this commitment to Joe. But you know, as you you start to uh, talk to people in or in and around Starkville University, you start to realize that um, you know this is uh, they, they had a bad, very bad month of December, and uh, not just the bowl loss, but compounded with 
things that we um, had seen from Mississippi State team throughout the season, and even last year a little bit, and that was that was a uh, kind of an undisciplined team, you know, that um, that they just didn't seem prepared very much, and and kind of had some strife going on inside the team a little bit. And you know, you saw a fight at practice, players missing practice, and John Cohen, Cohen saw all that stuff. And you know, he's an old school baseball coach who's all up on you know he, he certainly is a disciplinarian and a, and a hard coach to play for. And you talk to people who played for him, uh, just that old school football coach or baseball coach. And and you know, I think he saw he hired a guy that was not that. And and I think that um, his issues. Leading up to the Egg Bowl, um, you know, you had the euphoria of the Egg Bowl and all that, and so some of those issues got got clouded a little bit, and they made a decision, but they just came right back, you know, that month of December. And I, I think when he looked ahead to the future, it was one of those things where uh, a lot of ADs have to ask their, themselves, if I think we're, we're moving in the wrong direction and I'm going to fire this guy next year, why wait? You know, and I think ultimately uh, he answered that question this morning. I I don't know if I'm asking you to speculate here or not, so forgive me if I am. But you you said the euphoria of the Egg Bowl, maybe it got clouded a little bit. Um, John was asked today in the press conference whether if there was a, a, a point in time where definitively he made the decision to move on, and he goes, no, it... It's an ongoing evaluation and, and blah, blah, blah. Do you believe that he was prepared to fire Joe Moorhead after the Egg Bowl and then allowed himself to be swayed or was swayed by someone else? Or do you think that was never really in the cards? Well, you know, I, I can say this, which I think has been, I think I said it earlier today on radio, and, and, and uh, I believe uh, SB Nation's uh, at some point, Stephen Godfrey had said it, and it's it's true. You know, if if, um, if Joe Moore had led, had if Mississippi State had lost the Egg Bowl, uh, I think Joe Moore would be fired, would have been fired the next day. Um, and you know that that game fires and hires coaches. We've seen it time and time again, and uh, so at least it saved it saved him for a month. Basically, is is what seems to have happened and. You know, again, do I you know if it was John Cohen's decision or somebody else's decision to not fire him after winning that game? I don't. You know, I don't. Right. I, I, you know, I know that university good enough, and its president uh, Dr. Mark Keenum to know that the, the the Ole Miss game, the Egg Bowl, means almost everything to that place and those people, all the way to the top. Um, but as far as who made this or that decision, I. You know, I don't know, uh, but but you know, Dr. Kingdom's a very powerful figure. Uh, you know, he I think he still sits or still chairs uh, the the board. Um, gosh, I always forget the name of the dang board that's tied to the college football playoff. Um, in the the yeah the the advisory the, board. Yeah, in the, the college yeah, presidents or whatever. Yeah, so he's, he's a powerful guy, and I, so I'm sure you know he's going to have to give approval, and I'm sure he's going to have his input. So. Whatever happened, I'm, I'm sure he, he was aware of it and, and gave his input after the Egg Bowl. And you saw that video after the Egg Bowl. He, I think he celebrated um, in the locker room. There was a video of him giving a speech. You know, not a whole lot of 
university presidents do that. So, you know, there's, um, there's something there, you know, and, and, uh, you know, if, if Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State had won the egg, or the, the uh, bowl game, the music bowl against, uh, Louisville, he probably would still be the coach. But when you, when you lose that game like that, and, and that was probably the fourth or fifth one this year that I think State was a favorite in, and they lost. Um, when you lose those games and you have the off the field issues and your AD is seeing all this stuff in practice, it just, you know, builds up to, um, to where we are right now. You know, we're, we're, you got to make a move or, or John Cohen at least felt and people Mississippi State at least felt it was, it was time to make a move. Ross Dellinger on your radio. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Great follow. Does great work at Sports Illustrated. Minute and a half, maybe two minutes left. Names going forward. Obviously, Billy Napier's name is out there. It's prominent. That seems to be kind of maybe where everybody is at least going for leading candidate. Give me some other names that you think could be legitimate. Well, it's tough, you know, because it's so early in the process. But, but certainly, you know, and, and if you remember how John Cohen um, ran the last search for Joe Moore, it happened within a couple of days. So he's got a list, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, I'm assuming Billy Napier is on that list. I, I would, I would think, uh, you know, that some, some people at state like Jeff Munkin a lot at Army. I, I would think that maybe, uh, that he's on that list. That's you know, an interesting um, name. Because yeah, I hear is. you say that and I immediately think triple option. Yeah, but, but, you know, Jeff's come out and said that he, he'd be willing to potentially change or, or at least, uh, at least do some different things, you know. Uh, it's just so early. You get thrown out. You throw out so many names, and a lot of it's just not necessarily from people in high places who are making decisions or whatnot, uh, but are just like connections that you make to the school, you know, or coaches who want back in or are interested in the position, you know, like Gene Chizik or Larry Fedora, those guys like that. So just so early, but certainly, uh, I'm sure we'll find out over the weekend a little more. You know, more as more serious kind of names start to, you know, seep out a little bit. Ross, really appreciate your time. Enjoy uh, enjoy the weekend, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right, Richard. Thanks. Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated on your radio. Some interesting stuff to digest there. We'll get back to the conversation about Mississippi State and Joe Moorhead after a quick timeout. And I think Joel Coleman from the Starkville Daily News will join us for the next little while as well. Sports Talk Mississippi coming right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Haydad, Joel Coleman has joined the show as well. Woo! I'm here. There he is, Joel Coleman from the Starkville Daily News. What's up, Joel? Hi, I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Good, man. Just, uh, you know, just another Friday, rocking along in January with not a whole lot going on. Um, yeah, <laughs> dude, there's an important NBA slate tonight. I don't know what you're talking about with nothing going on. I'm sorry, you Borky. Talk are you talking? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Look, I mean, we talked about Nudrin and Waz. I guess we could talk to, about the NBA at some point this afternoon. Yeah, um, that just doesn't feel right, though. Kind of big news jo- today? Yeah, Joel, I asked earlier, hey, Dad... And I want to ask you the exact same question because you were there and I referenced a question that you asked on Twitter as well. What was your impression or your takeaway from John Cohen's press conference today? 
Well, I guess first off, it, he stressed the importance of the next head coach has to be a coach with discipline. It has to be a coach with a with a high you know a high edge or a sharp edge or however he said it. Um, I mean, you just really got the impression from hearing John Cohen speak today that the major factor here was you hear in sports a lot of times it talks about guys that have lost control of the program a little bit, and I think that was the viewpoint here. And it's hard to argue, um, both from the outside looking in and then knowing what what we know from the from the inside, given the the altercation that happened leading up to to bowl to the bowl game between Schrader and Willie Gay and. Uh, there were some other things too that happened over the course of the last 30 days, apparently that that played into this as well. So, uh, the, the takeaway from me more than anything was just it really feels like Mississippi State administration felt like the program had gotten away from Joe Moorhead and didn't feel like he could get it back. I know, hey Dad, you guys get extremely limited access, and so there was really no way for you to have any idea of what maybe was boiling just below the surface during the month-long lead-up to the bowl game. But kind of based on what we've heard, what Ross Dellinger talked about, what you guys have alluded to, what John Cohen alluded to, bowl preparation must have been just an abject disaster. Well, it it sure seemed that way. Uh, you saw in the, in the bowl game that Nick Gibson, he, he missed the first quarter because of what Joe said in the postgame press conference was some kind of something that happened during bowl prep back in Starkville. Um, there, there were several other issues that I think that Hey Dad, nor I, nor anyone, um, I mean, obviously somebody knows, but, but some things that haven't been brought to light, there were other issues as well. Now, obviously the headline was Garrett Schrader getting punched in the face. I mean that that's that's the big story. But there were some other little shock waves apparently over the course of the last thirty days too. Um, and, and there's been some hints of of what that was and stuff. And uh, but but it, it's kind of the totality of it. And let's not forget that going into the Egg Bowl, Joe was being evaluated then. And, and whether it was the final score or whether it was the effort that was put out that night, whatever happened on Egg Bowl night kind of made Mississippi State reverse course and go back and 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 now they've second guessed themselves I guess a little bit here and made the move that I think they kind of wanted to make or were waiting to see if they needed to make on Egg Bowl night. So I, yeah, it does kind of seem like though going back to what you said that, that bowl prep was not the smoothest of of organizations going on there the last few weeks. Without the Tudor Gate and without the bowl fight Eight and five, six and seven. He probably gets a year three, does he not? I think so. Just re- yeah, on-field yeah, performance alone, probably not. I know it's not what state like state people want, and they're clearly regressing. But without the off-the-field nonsense, he's probably getting a year three, is he not? Like that's I ultimately feel, what did him in. I feel almost a hundred percent confident in saying that's the case. I, I feel a hundred percent confident in saying that that had Garrett Schrader and Willie Gay not had their altercation, had there not been some of these other incidents over the course of the last few days and had state come out in nashville i'm not even saying they had to win the game but just you know look composed and play a good game and not let it get away from you and uh and you just lose and it's six and Which seven they did but you for don't the first have, 10 minutes yeah that's, that's true huh. uh, and you don't have any of this other stuff then then yeah joe moorhead's probably still the head coach today but 
Uh, I, I know that going back to the Egg Bowl and something that uh, that John Cohen said when I sat down with him for my Q&A with the Starfield Daily News, something that he was really looking for wasn't just the final score of the Egg Bowl. It was it, it, the state come out prepared to play because there's been so many games this year. You, you want to pull it out, whether it's Tennessee, whether it was at Auburn. Um, there's been so many situations this year where state has come out and they just didn't look like they were prepared at all to play. Um I feel like that, as much as the final score was being examined in the Egg Bowl, they were pleased with what they saw on Egg Bowl night, but from then on, it was right back into disaster mode. And State, other than, like you said, for the first 10 minutes, didn't look prepared for the Music City Bowl either. So all that combined with off-the-field stuff, it was just an unsalvageable situation for Joe Moorhead. Hey, Dad, this is on the C Spire text line. What John Cohen said was, holy cow, did I ever make a big mistake. The next coach will be everything Joe Moorhead is not. Of course, he said that without saying it. And it makes me wonder, and, and Ross kind of alluded to this a, a little bit ago, a second ago. We know what kind of a coach John Cohen was. Hard-nosed, no nonsense, heavy on the discipline, at times difficult to play for, extremely intense, from which his nickname that has been carried out on the interwebs has been derived, etc. <laughs> so... If he went out and hired the opposite of himself and it went poorly to the, fi- the to the point that he's having to fire him after two years, is there a concern about making an overcorrection here that he's going to go so far the opposite way that, that, that I may not even be asking that right, but it feels like he's headed the opposite direction this time, right? I think you will see a, a coach who is known more as a disciplinarian than a player's coach. Okay. Now, I don't think that they're going to bring in Genghis Khan or anything like that, but they're going to bring in a co- they're going to bring in a coach who you know, and that's what you if you're if you're thinking you know Billy Napier, well who did he work for Nick Saban, yeah. the ultimate disciplinarian, so you know that's probably what the hope is at, at this point that you're going to get a guy who you know understands that you can, and you can be a bit of a player's coach, but you have to be able to. To when when it's time to to hammer down that you can do it, and I think that's what state is going to be looking for here. Well, that was the first words out of Joe's mouth today. Was or excuse John. me, out of John's mouth today. Uh, was when asked for what he's looking for next was discipline and hard edge. Yeah, um, I think that's a, a very legit question. He is going to go, I, I think, in a bit of a different direction, and I, I think he's going to go try to find a coach that has. He, he was asked several times about. Does it matter if they have southern roots or whatever? I don't think that that matters, but I think he does and would like to get a a, a head coach that ha- has been a head coach for one a, at the Power Five level, and and two that maybe has experience, whether it's a Napier or somebody, um, kind of dealing with football in the South a little bit and the and the kids that are down here and things like that. Uh, I, I really do feel like that that he is going to go in. Kind of like you said, Richard, a, a totally different direction. Will it will it be so far on the other end that it's too much well, of an overcorrection? We'll see. Did, did you guys hear what Ross Dellinger said a second ago? And uh, I, I guess I can share this. I had a conversation with him earlier, and he was talking about those characteristics with, with John Cohen, and he said, I wonder if any of the service academy guys would be in play. I mean, he obviously mentioned Jeff Munkin when we were talking just a second ago. And I ask about, okay, that means triple option. 
but said Munkin has intimated that he would evolve as a coach if given the opportunity. But then you've also got Troy Calhoun at Air Force, whose system really has already evolved. And, yeah, you know, got a bunch of spread principles. Yeah, they don't throw it a ton, but it's because they don't have the athletes to do it. Is there a scenario where you could see one of the service academy guys potentially transitioning in and it making sense? I mean, what you just the way you describe it, yeah, if, if a guy's going to come in and, and run an offense that... If, I, if, I if, and if. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of ifs. There's a lot of ifs. But that said, I mean, Munkin, you know, prior to this year, was one of the hotter coaches. Now, they, obviously, they took a step back this year at Army. Calhoun's a very good coach. He's got a good record. So I, I don't see why they wouldn't at least, you know, warrant consideration. I'll say that. And when yeah. you think back, too, it would be it would fit the John Cohen mold to pull someone that no one's really thinking about here. Because I, I speak for myself only here, but maybe you guys agree. When Joe Moorhead was hired, I mean, he was a name that I kind of knew, but I don't know that he was really near the top of my radar for, for a guy that, that John Cohen was going to hire. So it is kind of along the John Cohen way of doing things to kind of do something that no one's really expecting. And I think a service academy guy would, would definitely fit that mold. Quick question on the text line before we go to the break from Ceasefire. Help me understand why a player was suspended for a period of time for something that happened during bowl practice, but Willie Gay gets no suspension. Makes no sense. I think you can make an inference that it wasn't all Willie Gay's fault. Yep. Uh, (laughs) If there was some blame there, I think there would have been some discipline there. All right, press timeout. Maybe we'll come back to that in just a second. We'll talk about where the blame lies. Sports Talk Mississippi, more coming up. All right, so before the break, we were asking the question about suspensions in the bowl game. Trent sent us, uh, actually it was Jason and Tupelo that sent us that message. He followed up. He said, I I understand that it may and most likely was not all Willie Gay's fault, but he still was to blame for a hit that caused Schrader to miss the game. Schrader, in a way, missed the game because of his part. Guess it's just me, but thinking Willie should have been suspended at least part of the game as well. Any more light that you guys can shed on that, or just part of a series of events, which is kind of what John Cohen said today. That ultimately, look, I mean, I'm I'm, fill, I'm filling in the blanks or connecting the dots here. But John Cohen talked pretty openly today about there being a lack of discipline in the program by talking about the next guy he hires is going to be somebody that has a standard of discipline in the program. So this just kind of another sequence of poor decision-making? Yeah. Uh, that's poor decision-making all the way around. Yeah. I mean, whether it's whether it's Garrett and whatever he did to, to you know, infuriate Willie, whether it's Willie, you know, <laughs> punching his quarterback in the face, whether it's the coaching staff not diffusing the situation enough, whether it's uh, no visible discipline being issued, um, there there was just in, from one man's opinion that just writes about sports that whole situation just smelled all, all around. Uh, yep. I, I'm not I'm not privy to know exactly what caused it or whatever, but everything about that just was off. And and from what I've been Did told, you just by go third person folks, on me, by the way, one man's opinion. Yeah, yeah maybe so. <laughs> The, this Thunder and Lightning podcast is getting to my head, Richard. You know, I'm mm. I'm a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, uh, no. Uh, and from what I was told today, too, like John Cohen was present in, in attendance and saw this Garrett Schrader Willie Gay madness when it transpired um, back back a few weeks ago, too. So, you think he uh, jumped in and tried to break it up? 
I would highly doubt that. But I tell you what, if he got in my face, I'd sure stop whatever I was doing. Yeah. I mean, we've seen him get in many umpires' face. So don't want any part of that man. Uh, Question from but, Trent on the ceasefire text line: How can Bulldog fans accept expect John Cohen to make a good hire after Moorhead? You say that he likes to do something that nobody expects. How did that turn out last time? Well, I mean, when Moorhead was hired. There wasn't. You would have to look uh, far and wide to find somebody who wasn't a fan of the hire. At the time, everybody thought it was a great hire. You know, it just yeah. didn't work out. I, it wasn't the process that failed uh, John Cohen. It was Joe Moorhead. So, you know, if the, if the process is fine, I don't have an issue with that. I mean, this is the same guy who also hired Chris Lamonis, who is, seems to be doing a fantastic job for MSU baseball. And you know, his first hire, Andy Canizero, didn't work out for obvious reasons. Uh, not not anything no. on the field. Not only anything on the field, but you know, it had to go. And then he, the next hire he made was a good one. So, I, I don't think you know, you 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 should have any real issues trusting Cohen on this one. You know, let the process happen, let let the hire happen, and see what happens. That said, if he messes this one up, my guess is he wouldn't get a third one. Joe, uh, Joel, yeah. Two questions, uh, two-part question, which you're not supposed to do. Like first rule of J school, don't ask two-part questions. But I'm going to ask you uh, a <laughs> two-part question anyway. One, why did John Cohen not ask you, answer your question about the contract extension? And two, do you actually know the answer to that question? Uh, I'll answer the second part first. I do not. Uh, I do not know, and I, and I've kind of I've been beating around some bushes trying to. And, and and forgive me for interrupting just for a second. The question, if you missed it earlier, was, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. You guys talked after the Egg Bowl about extending Joe Moorhead back out to four years. Did that contract get signed? That's basically the question you asked. Yes, yes. Because, yeah, in our Q&A that I did with him, he said that that was going to happen. So, um, no, I don't know whether it was or whether it was not. My gut instinct is when you ask that, when I ask that question and he says, you know, he's not going to get into that, is that, Maybe it was signed because that's an easy no. If the answer is no, he didn't sign it yet. I don't understand why you can't just say no. Um, perhaps he just didn't want to get into it because he thought maybe the follow-up there is like talking about buyout numbers and stuff, stuff that he's probably not going to disclose anyway, and so he just wanted to squish it all together. So I don't want to put words in his mouth. I mean, there's a chance that the thing wasn't signed. But it does seem like odds are if the answer to the question is no, he hadn't signed anything yet, that you could just say no. Will we get buyout numbers? For more is that or is that gonna I mean through a through a Freedom of Information Act request or is that gonna be shrouded under the whole Bulldog Club secrecy thing? I, I'm going to try, as I'm sure others will, but most likely so much of that is tough to get because it is shrouded in, in Bulldog Club and private funds and that's how that's how things are done in Starkville anyway. It will it will be tried to. What you know? I'm sure why, I won't be the only one trying to get that number. Yeah. Have either of you ever gotten an answer as to why Mississippi State has chosen to take that approach with regard to salary numbers and buyout numbers? Why they have chosen to kind of protect that information almost in the way that Vanderbilt does, as opposed to the way I guess everybody else in the SEC does with it being fairly public. Uh, yeah, it is. It is kind of weird, but you you guys could tell me more than than I could. Um, Rippy 
Rippy and Borky and, and Richard, you, you guys, Ole Miss is, is kind of wrapped up in, in their foundation too, right? Some of these buyout numbers. Yeah, but they don't – I mean, yes, in terms of on paper they are, but usually yeah. you can get the information. When, when coaches have been hired and, and when John Cohen was hired, they, they've given us the salary information there. Buyout information has been harder to come by. But salary information, for the most part, we, we've gotten it on the day the person's hired. Okay. I mean, like like when we were dealing with Matt Luke, no, that information was not readily available, but I was able to ask a couple of people and found out that the buyout was for the full four years and it was 75%. The, the buyout was 75% of the remaining four years on the contract and there was no mitigating or offset language in there. And yeah, you know, it wasn't something that they tried to hide behind. I just, I just was curious. Yeah. Um, if, if you had any idea what it was going to cost Mississippi State to, because they, what, after his first year, they extended it back out to four years. And so it's either three years or four years. Right. And then whatever the negotiated buyout was, I suppose. Correct. Yeah. I, I'll have to uh, continue to dig and get back with you on it because I, like I said, I, I don't know the, the figure to, to share. Is Sexton his agent? Because you can count on every dime. <laughs> I don't think I don't think Jimmy Sexton is Joe's. No, he's not. Yeah. Well, well, that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what next? How quickly does this move? Well, if it's Billy Napier, it's not going to happen before Monday. I mean, that, that's that's just he, he wants to get that bowl game with his team, which I commend. Uh, and there is, you know, there is the, uh, the the name that the other thing that's been popping up is should Matt Rule want to take that New York Giants job? Baylor would be another spot where Napier, I think, would be an attractive candidate. So, for MSU, I think they're sort of you know hoping that the the Giants sort of hold off a couple more days so they can get Napier yeah. signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, if it's not Napier, you could see it this weekend. But I think they are going to go to Napier first. Yeah, it is. From all my understanding, the plan is for this thing to move pretty quickly. Um, so I would be surprised if. If we're in the middle portion of next week and don't know who the next Mississippi State head coach is, I'm going to be floored. Yeah, I agree with that. But we, we, we should know something by Wednesday, Thursday next week. What will be the reaction for Mississippi State fans if it indeed it is Billy Napier? I think overwhelming, not overwhelmingly, but for the most part positive. Um, you know, he's he's a coach that when you, when you can tell the average fan that, oh, well, he coached with Saban and Dabo, they're going to say, well, he must be a pretty good coach. I mean, that's what your that's what your average you know what they call the cap and t shirt crowd would would, would say uh, and the people who follow the sport closely have followed Napier's career and know that he's been he's been a good coach he's done really well uh, at Louisiana and, he, and he's sort of that next guy up you know the, that you know once uh, Satter, you know Satterfield was sort of that guy uh, Neil Brown was sort of that guy and now it, it, Napier's the guy the group of five guy and I guess you know Bill Clark is in that that spot eventually he will move up. But, but if it, these are the coaches that year in, you know, year out, you you find you see moving up to Power Five jobs. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and Joel Coleman from the Starkville Daily News on your radio on Sports Talk Mississippi. Um, Joel, we'll get to this after the break. I, I asked Haydad this yesterday, and it was kind of I don't know, Haydad. I don't want to speak for what you said yesterday, but I think it was a little yes, a little no. How much the the momentum and the excitement surrounding Ole Miss with the hire of Lane Kiffin after losing that game and not getting to a bowl game, in contrast to Mississippi State winning the Egg Bowl and getting to a bowl game 
but not feeling like there was a ton of excitement surrounding it. How much of that played in to this decision that was made? I'll let you I'll okay. let you think on that and think about how you want to answer it, and uh, we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. If you missed anything this afternoon, you can always go back and listen on demand at supertalk.fm or download Sports Talk Mississippi as a podcast. And speaking of podcasts, Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coltman have one that uh, pops up about four or five days a week. It's called Thunder and Lightning during football six season. Days this week. Six days this week, okay. Yeah, During we'll, we'll football season, tomorrow. they went over one million listens. I would imagine that uh, that number is going to continue to grow over the uh, next few days as well. Take a quick timeout. We will wrap up the four o'clock hour with you after this. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Bruce, we'll get to your question on the ceasefire text line coming up in just a couple of minutes. I want to go back to what we threw out, though, before the break. And uh, Joel mentioned that kind of asked Haydad this question, and he talked some about it yesterday. Curious to get your reaction as well. Um, do you think the excitements among Ole Miss fans and some of the attention that the national media gave to Ole Miss as a result of hiring Lane Kiffin, after Ole Miss lost that game and didn't get to a bowl game, while Mississippi State won the Egg Bowl, got to a bowl game, and there wasn't a ton of excitement, and people were talking about not renewing season tickets, if if that played a role in this decision? I really don't think it had a thing to do with it, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't think it had anything to do with it. Look, John Cohen is a guy that, going back to his tenure as the baseball coach here, he really doesn't give much of a flying flip about any outside opinion or, or, or anything. I mean, he's a guy that State played, what, 50-something baseball games one season. He ran out 50-something different lineups, despite all the different criticisms and everything else of what he's doing. He just doesn't care what other, other people think. He's going to do his thing his way, and if you like it, great. And if you don't, you don't. But I, I don't think that he looked, you know, 90 miles to the north and, and saw what was going on there and – Said, well, we got to do that too, kind of thing. I, I just don't. I don't think that there was. If it played a factor, then it was just basically uh, the 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 smallest of of needles on the big haystack kind of deal. I mean, it, it just, in my opinion, talking to to other folks, it, it just did not play a role at all. It was about the internal malfunction of, of this program and how kind of the the inmates had started to run the asylum and and state just did not feel like that it could continue down down this path you know it is interesting when you look at from a a comparison standpoint one of the issues that Ole Miss was going to be dealing with if they had not made a change was going to be a lot of empty seats and a lot of frustration among fans and there was more and more talk about that being the case that Mississippi State would deal with it, and so it even if there's not a correlation, it's almost like the business decision was a little comparable. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 that I, does. I definitely agree with that. You know, Keith Carter talked about fan apathy 
Cohen didn't talk about it as much, and, and I, I think at the end of the day he was more concerned about the, the inner workings of the program more than, more than the outside stuff. But at the same time, you know, we talked about it last week, and we talked about it a ton on the podcast that, you know, season tickets are going, we're going to be a tough sell next year for Mississippi State. You know, the mm-hmm. home slate wasn't great anyway, and then if you're bringing Joe Moorhead back and people aren't excited about him, you know, how are you supposed to fill the stadium? So, yeah. Fan apathy in this day and age, when you and I and Borky and Rippy are always talking about attendance and and you know how it's it's dropping wherever you look. There's there's no question that you know ticket sales are on everybody's mind. Question from Bruce on the C Spire text line: Have you guys heard much about the speculation of Joe Judge being a candidate for this coaching position? Currently with the Patriots, working on a doctorate degree at Mississippi State, has been an assistant at State as well as Alabama, and supposedly. MSU is his dream head coaching position. Hey, Dad, I know you mentioned that name earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mentioned him. Uh, I think he would be an interesting candidate. Uh, he's a guy who's you know uh, sort of a hot name in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, and anybody we talked about being with Saban and Dabo. Well, now we're talking about a guy who's been with Belichick for all these years. Also a former player, so he you yeah. sort of get the best of both worlds there. You get a guy who you know has been Didn't outside and seen a lot up? of things. Did, didn't his name pop up maybe with Cleveland as one of the one yes. of the people that they wanted to talk to? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he he's 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 a hot name right now. The, the the biggest strike on his record is he's never even been a, a coordinator, offensive or defensive. He's been a special teams guy. He's done a lot of other stuff in the NFL, but he has not been. He hasn't had even any kind of job where he was calling plays or calling formations or anything like that. So that's why I think that he's sort of a dark horse in all this. A, a guy that if Napier wasn't the answer, that the state might come back to. Joel, we've got about a minute left until the break. Really appreciate you coming in and spending an hour with us uh, this afternoon. I'll give you, uh, you know, final minute or so. Just thoughts, big picture as this thing moves forward over the next few days. Well, I think that it was a move that I think it was a move Mississippi State had to make. And Brian and I talked about this on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. I think it's a move that if they didn't make it today, that maybe I'd be joining you guys in November of, of this year and we would be talking about it anyway. And so, yeah. as Brian has said before, you know, and I think he was quoting somebody else, he didn't make it up. Uh, hey, what, hey, give what, me credit for philosophy. <laughs> what, must hap- what must happen eventually, just go ahead and do it immediately. And I, I probably just butchered the quote. But if you're yeah. going to have to do it eventually anyway, go ahead and do it right now. And so... State probably actually gets the best of both worlds because I think they're going to end up keeping the majority, if not all, of their signing class, and you can build towards the next signing class too. You basically don't lose hardly anyone. I, I feel like this was the move State had to make, and it, it kind of stinks because Joe Moorhead's a good guy, um, did a lot of good things in this community. Um, he is an excellent dude, but as a football coach, it just wasn't working out, and I think State made the right call. Joel, appreciate you coming in. You don't get the weekend off. Sorry. Hoops tomorrow, and uh, there's a football coaching search to cover. Thanks for your time. Joel T. Coleman from the Starkville Daily News. We'll play John Cohen's press conference next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks to Joel T. Coleman from the Starkville Daily News for stopping by during the 4 o'clock hour. Time right now for the College Football Fix. The College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Still great savings even as we roll into the new year. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Noon Richard, today Richard, Richard, in Starkville. Richard, 
I hate to yes. break in on you. We just got some breaking news here from Brett McMurphy that says Billy Napier has declined the opportunity to become Mississippi State's head coach. Whoa. Ooh. Well, that's an interesting twist. That is yeah, fascinating. No, we weren't expecting 15 that. hours after local media reported it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, there it is. Brett McMurphy, Louisiana's Billy Napier, expected to be among Mississippi State's top targets, has declined an opportunity to join the Bulldogs, sources told Stadium. Um, hey, Dad, was it you or Borky that said, I guess it had to be Borky because he's the only one I talked to since I returned from uh, my trip, that you don't make this move without having someone lined up? And wasn't that the thought that they had someone lined up? That was the thought. That thought being Billy Napier? I, I don't know that for sure, but if that was the thought, it, it backfired right there. Well, All right. Doesn't well, this... well, hold on just a second, Borky. So we'll press timeout. Coming up in the next segment, we will play for you the audio from the press conference today in Starkville that happened at noon with John Cohen meeting with members of the media. You'll kind of get the question and answer uh, portion of that. Uh, it's about 10 minutes long, so we'll get that for you coming up in uh, just a minute. Um, but, yeah, Billy Napier has been the name that has been talked about the most, and according to Brett McMurphy, that is now off the table. I'm sorry, Borky, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, no, that's okay, and I've lost my train of thought. Let me try to get it back. Um, <laughs> doesn't that show that his hand was forced, that this was a decision that somebody there didn't really want to make. Because I, I joked on Twitter last night, I tweeted a picture of the Elijah Moore pee-pee thing and said, yeah, both coaches don't get fired unless that happens. And I believe that's true. I don't think you have both open positions without the fake dog pee. I don't envision a scenario where that game ends like a normal football game and both coaches get fired. But that it's neither here nor there. It certainly feels like, since there obviously wasn't a plan in place, that it was a decision that leadership there didn't want to make, but they just simply had to make it. There was news yesterday morning that Billy Napier was getting a two-year contract extension that would take his deal with the Cajuns through 2025. Napier fielded interest from Power 5 jobs this offseason after taking UL to the Sunbelt title game. Um, that was from Ross Dellinger, and they retweeted the uh, story as well. From yesterday morning at his, uh, at his Twitter feed, I would had somebody tell me that there was interest from Billy Napier in Baylor. And, hey, Dad, you alluded that. Yeah alluded to that earlier. I think there's a lot of thought that Matt Rule is going to be the next head coach of the New York Giants. We'll see if it turns out to be the case or not. But getting a Big 12 job at a private school that clearly has plenty of resources and really good facilities and is not in the SEC West, I guess you could understand how that could be a really appealing opportunity if it presents itself and yeah. if it doesn't present itself Billy Napier seems to be happy where he is there's that I mean the Baylor job for me is, is a very intriguing one I mean they were basically one game away from playing for a national title this year I think you know if they had beaten Oklahoma in either game 
uh, or I guess in both games, uh, they would have they would have been in the in in the playoff. I think. So yeah, I mean it's a lot easier than trying to go through Alabama and LSU every year. I certainly don't begrudge anybody that. Plus, you're in Texas, the the you know where most of the, the best high school talent in the in the the country plays. So you got a lot of, of easy pickings on the recruiting trail. You would think. Um, and like you said, that's a that's a fan base there in Baylor. They had a taste of success under Art Bryles, and it was taken out from underneath them because of all the terrible things that Bryles did. They've got to be hungry to get back on track and to find a way to do it without the off the field stuff. So. We'll see what happens with Rule. You know, he's obviously you know done a great job there, and the NFL seems to be his next stop. And then beyond that, could be Napier. Does that change the feeling of this search dramatically? Dramatically, I'm trying to struggle with the reason not to say yes, Richard. I think it does. I think almost everybody had believed that the hay was in the barn on that one, uh, but. Now, you'll, you, like I said, you know, I think Mark Hutzpah is going to be a, get an opportunity. I think Ty Grantham would be somebody you look at. And then we sort of mentioned it earlier. You know, John Cohen has been known, and then he was known with with Lamonis and with with Moorhead to you know sort of look off the beaten path a little bit. So we'll see what happens. And back to something I asked Haydad earlier, like if this is done in the end, the beginning of December, end of. November, you know what I'm saying, after the Egg Bowl, if Napier says no, it's really not that big a deal, right? Right. Now it's now it's kind of yeah. like, what are you going to do in January? I'm not saying they yeah. can't land a good coach. It's just interesting right. that it's harder to put together names at this point. There, there's plenty of good coaches available. They're, they're just lesser known is how I would put it. George in West Point says, why do they not try to get Urban Meyer? All he can do is say yes or no. Good point. Mm-hmm. Got to spend money to make money. Shoot your shot. All those That's cliches. True. George suggests that maybe you should at least try. Jason says, I'm hoping we get Hudspeth or Bill Clark. Wasn't sold on Napier anyway. Okay. Somebody's eventually going to take a chance on Bill Clark, are they not? You would think so. What's the hang-up? I keep saying the same thing. I think it's him. I think he is holding out to see if Malzahn ever gets run out of Auburn. I don't think... Auburn will go that route if he does. You don't? Okay. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. that's that the the track that makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Um. I. I don't know the answer to the what's the holdup with Bill Clark thing. He's not that far removed from being a high school coach. And maybe that's part of it. But, I mean, you've seen other scenarios where guys weren't that far removed from different levels of coaching altogether and getting opportunities and it being successful. Um, Just to clarify, he's 12 years removed from his last high school position. Okay. But to your point, he's only been a head coach since 2013. And two years of that, there was no coaching. And I guess they shut yeah, down the yeah, correct. But it, I mean, it's a long time at the high school level, like 90, 90 to two thousand seven, so seventeen years. Yeah, eighteen, whatever. That's a long time. I mean, could it be age? He's fifty one. He could just want to see. Uh, maybe he's the rare guy that doesn't have a price and just wants to see UAB through. I mean, they're building him a brand new stadium downtown, and maybe he just wants to. Take it to where as far as it can go. 
ceasefire text line Eli Manning to state Archie from Drew <laughs> Archie from Drew that's even yeah. better <laughs> so how did the man who orchestrated the chaos Randy and Starkville uh, obviously playing tongue firmly planted in cheek he said dog coaches Houston Nutt defensive coordinator Tommy Tuberville offensive coordinator probably have to flip those because one's an offensive guy and the other's a defensive guy says so maybe Jimmy Johnson oh he was going with that as coordinators Jimmy Johnson is the head coach with Houston Nutt as the OC and Tuberville is the DC. Yeah. I would be 100% in. Is Mississippi State in a position where they have to settle for a coach instead of getting one that they want? It's a question that comes in on the ceasefire text line. I don't think that's going to be the case. But that said, the first choice I think was Napier. So Ed in Brookhaven says, what about Jay Hobson? No. We've had a bunch of people today say Jason Garrett to state. <laughs> Come on. He's available. I mean, he has had worked with Dak Prescott. I assume he knows where Mississippi is. What would the thought of Todd Grantham be? <sighs> he fits the hard-nosed defensive image Mississippi State would want. The question is, you know, what would he do offensively? And, I mean, he's been around the game long enough to have the connections. I think he could put together a good staff. I know a guy who would score a bunch of points. He would score a lot. You're right. Text, is State too prideful to look into freeze? Ah, there we go. I'm not sure that pride would be the issue on the State side. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You heard that Humboldt quote Borky threw out at the beginning of the show. Richard and Wiggins mentions Larry Fedora. Coaching in a hospital bed may have been a bad idea. Don't know if I helped my team that much. <laughs> Jerry's still out on that. Continue to get the Mike Leach suggestion. He did sign an extension at Washington State for whatever that's worth. The Pirate in Starkville. Hmm. I don't, I don't see it. All right. We'll play the press conference from earlier today with John Cohen and members of the Mississippi State media. When we come back with you, that was your college football fix driven by Ford. All right, promised it to you earlier. We'll give it to you right now. This was earlier today in Starkville in the uh, media room at Davis Wade Stadium. John Cohen meeting with members of the media to announce that Joe Moorhead is no longer the head football coach at Mississippi State. Well, our football season now complete, and after careful review of our program, we feel like it's in our best interest to move forward identifying a new football coach, one who is the best fit for Mississippi State University. Mississippi State's a unique place and will never waver in the qualities that have made us successful. We're blue-collar, competitive, um, hard-nosed football team, and we play in the best division in the best conference in the entire country. We carry a chip on our shoulder, and we have to work outwork other people. We will identify someone who will develop our student-athletes on and off the field, and we will identify somebody who will hold all of our student-athletes in football accountable. We are family. We will find a head coach who connects with the most passionate fan base in all of college football. As you can imagine, a search of this magnitude is going to generate a ton of interest, and it's going to generate rumors. I ask that you take what you hear uh, with a grain of salt, unless you hear it from me. And uh, with that, I'm... I will take a few questions. 
John Jones, a guy that finished 14 and 12, three straight top 25 recruiting classes, won two Egg Bowls. Why the change now? Yeah, certainly, you know, wins and losses matter. I, I coached long enough myself to know wins and losses matter. Um, and Joe did win 14 games. Uh, in this case, it goes a little bit beyond just just wins and losses, although I want to stay for sure that, that wins and losses matter, but there were some other issues at stake here that we had to consider. When you talk about some of those other issues, of course, the kind of got out there, the, the altercation in practice and whatnot, how much did that those altercations and, and those things and the things that came to light and some of those issues, uh, how much did that factor into this? Well, everything factors in. So what you just mentioned is a factor. Is it the factor? No, but it is a factor, uh, one of several factors. When identifying the uh, the next football coach at Mississippi State, what are some of the attributes you're looking for? Is it a prerequisite that you have maybe a sitting head coach? Yeah, certainly there's a lot of those qualities, and we could probably have a very long conversation about it, but it's going to have to start with discipline. It's going to... It's going to have to start with having a hard edge. It's going to start with uh, helping student-athletes grow both on and off the field. It's going to start with somebody who has a passion for Mississippi State, specifically, as I mentioned before, this is a unique place, and we're excited about finding that person. As, as, as during this transition. Yeah, we've, we have now contacted every one of our signees. Um, we know that this was a, a little bit of a, a bombshell to those guys. Um, they, you don't sign with one coach. You sign with Mississippi State University, um, and we're willing to help those folks any way that we possibly can. And we look forward to our head coach having an opportunity to sit down and have a great conversation with every one of those young men. John, beyond the athletic department, do you all plan on using any kind of search committee to round out a list of candidates or anything on that? There, there will not be a committee. Obviously, I work for Dr. Mark Keenum, and we will be in close consultation throughout the process. Um, we will use a search firm to create, get us some background information, but the search firm will have no bearing on candidates uh, or decisions to be made. John, does the Nets coach need to have ties to either the SEC or Southern Roots? You know, I... I think it's a real danger when you close in the bubble of possible candidates. Um, just as a quick example, if LSU had that mentality, they would have never hired Nick Saban. Um, we're going to do a national search. We're going to find the right person for Mississippi State University. John, was there kind of a feeling uh, that maybe that maybe Joe had kind of lost control internally of the team as far as discipline and accountability and some of the things that you mentioned a while ago when you said you would look for in the next coach? Well, certainly I'm, I'm not going to dig uh, in deep into that, but there was a series of events we had to evaluate and, and we had to make um, the right decision for Mississippi State University. John, what's kind of the uh, the timeline there for your decision? When did when did you begin thinking if you were headed down this path and ultimately when was the final decision made? Well, it's a never-ending evaluation process. Um, I, I, I'm not. I can't. I'm not going to pinpoint an exact moment, but certainly I, I had many discussions with our, our president, Dr. Mark Keenum, uh, during the course of the week. And um, actually, you know, we're having conversations all the time, even before this week. So I, I'm not sure there's an isolated moment. Uh, again, it's a it's a series of events over time. John, do you have an estimated timeline to where you might name a new coach, or is that just too hard to predict right now? Yeah, I just I don't want to restrict us in that area. I, I don't want to restrict us with a timeline. We're going to go find the right coach. We're going to find the right fit. Um, 
it could happen quickly or it could take a little bit of time. So uh, we're, we're going to we started on that process already, and, and we're going to make sure we uh, do the right thing. John Tony Hughes was named the interim coach for the time being. Do you expect him to interview for the full-time job? Yeah, I don't, I don't think Tony's going to interview for the position. I have so much respect for Tony Hughes. He's a veteran in the Southeastern Conference, a veteran, veteran head coach. Um, he is a guy that, uh, I, again, I have the utmost respect for, and he's in contact with much of our roster right now. John, there's a lot of, of rumor past the Egg Bowl that this was going to happen in November, and it didn't. You, you, reassured, you reassured that Coach Moore was going to be here. Was it just one thing that happened in the, the past month that made that change, or, or was this something you were sort of leaning towards the whole time? Well, not, I'm not trying to be repetitive, but it's, again, it's a series of events. I think rarely is there one isolated event that, that causes um, a change. I, I, think, I know this was a series of events that happened, and, and we, I think we do a pretty good job of monitoring every aspect of the program. And, uh, and again, it, it, we felt it was the right thing to do. I know we had talked before that the plan back a few weeks ago was to extend Joe back out to the full four years and things. Was that contract ever signed or, or anything of that nature? Was that ever executed? Um, I'm, I'm not going not gonna to dig into that. Um, again, I, I will say that I, I felt like at the time we built some momentum, and I was so excited about that momentum continuing forward for the next 30 days through bowl prep. Um, to me, again, we're evaluating that whole time. And, again, some, some incidents came up that it kind of altered our course uh, in this process. You said that off-the-field issues along with on-field problems were reasons for the change, but obviously firing a guy for two years after he making bowl eligible, how would you reassure a Nets coach that this could be a spot where he could succeed even you know, if he makes two straight bowls and he's out of a job today? Well, it really depends on the nature of the coach. If we get the right coach, they're going to see this as a, an incredible opportunity with the best fans in college football. They're going to see this as a place that has incredible facilities, competing at the highest level. We've got to have the person who is not afraid to come in and compete against the best of the very best. And I think the SEC West, it's not even close when you look at it nationally. So I think it's all about getting the right guy, the right fit, uh, who clearly understands uh, the challenges of being at this level. John, I know there's always pressure when hiring a coach and a football coach in particular for you. This is your second football coaching hire in a couple of years. Is there any added personal pressure for you to get this one right? Yeah, you know what? I, I mean, I come from a sport where we played, if we made it to Omaha, we played 70 times a year. And I felt the same amount of pressure in every one of those 70 games. Um, you know, pressure is something that's self-induced. Um, I, I, I just, my, I'm honored to represent Mississippi State. And I'm honored to represent this incredible fan base. I have so many friends that I went to school here with, so many friends who are fans. Um, our fans get it. Our fans are edu educated, and um, I, I love them. I, I, I think they create the best atmosphere in college football right here. And I want to do this for them. I want to do it for our players. I want to do it for this great university. Um, not, not, so I, that, that's my motive, not, not anything about pressure pretty unprecedented in Mississippi State history and not not all that usual around the country to after two years to, to dismiss a coach and things just how difficult of you know was it 
this process and, and how quickly it kind of came about and stuff. Just what, what has been the, I guess, internally in your mind, the, the dialogue and things? Just how tough has this been the last couple of weeks? Well, I, I always say this to all of our coaches, and I say it to my own children. If you do something the right way, it's always difficult, right? So everything's difficult about this. We're altering somebody's career, somebody that I care about, somebody I think who is a great man with a great family. It's difficult. There's no question about that. Um, but in the end, it comes down to doing what's right for our institution, what's right for our student-athletes, what's right for our staff, what's right for our fans. Um, that's, that's what it comes down to. And when you can isolate it in that direction, you feel good about uh, making the decision. John, I know you guys are going to cast a wide net, but Billy Napier's a guy who's been mentioned a lot in connection with this job. Is he someone that you all have had contact with in the, at all in the early going of this? Yeah, we're not going to comment on, on any of our candidates. Uh, you know, I appreciate you asking that question. We are, I can tell you in the early stages of this, the amount of interest this has drawn from outstanding coaches from one coast to the other has been incredible. Um, I shouldn't be surprised because this is an elite football program and we're going to get the, the right guy. But, again, really excited about the pool that, that we've been able to put together so far. That was John Cohen earlier today in Starkville visiting with the media. That was the entire Q&A from uh, his press conference. We will dive into some of what was said and uh, kind of recap what has happened so far today. Plus, a statement from Joe Moorhead has been released All that coming up, Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Friday afternoon. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. A lot of action today on the ceasefire text line. Thanks for joining us there. We've been telling you for a couple of days about the ceasefire health app. If you've not downloaded the Ceasefire Health app, you should do so right now. You can do it in the Android store or the App Store if you've got Apple. You can skip the waiting room and get treated online on your phone by a clinician from UMMC from anywhere in Mississippi. And for a limited time, instead of paying $59 for, I mean, it's kind of like telehealth through the Ceasefire Health app, you can pay just $29. For a visit, if you are a Ceasefire customer, that's probably less than your current copay, even with your existing insurance. With Ceasefire Health, it's easy to get quality care for colds, the flu, earaches, nausea, sore throat, and other minor non-emergency medical conditions. You can learn more online at ceasefirehealth.com and get well sooner. Ceasefire customer inspired. Mentioned a second ago, Joe Moorhead has released a statement via the Notes app on his iPhone. Seems to be the preferred release a statement method if you want to get it quickly to the masses. Like a recruit. Sadly, at the end, he didn't say, no interviews, respect my decision. Pretty sure those things are implied at this point. (laughs) Yeah, just uh, hope to share some thoughts on a pretty emotional day. First and foremost, wanted to express my sincere appreciation to Dr. Keenum and Mr. Cohen for providing me the wonderful opportunity to be the head coach at Mississippi State University. I'd like to thank our alumni, our students, our incredible fan base for their support and making Davis Wade one of the best game day venues in the country. I'd like to thank our coaches and support staff for their tireless work ethic and commitment to developing our student athletes and preparing them for success on and off the field. I'd like to thank the Starkville community and public school system for embracing my family and making us feel at home in a place very far away from our roots. Lastly, and most importantly, 
I would like to thank our players and families. I appreciate all the hard work and dedication you've put in over the past two seasons. I'm proud of the things we were able to accomplish on the field, in the classroom, and in the community. I hope that I've made a positive impact on your lives and helped you grow as a student, a person, and a player. I love all of you, and it will always be just a phone call away. My family and I will always cherish our time in Starkville. Part of us will always bleed maroon and white. We wish the program nothing but the best moving forward. As my grandma would always say, it's never goodbye. It's always see you later. See y'all later. God bless and hail state. That was Joe Moorhead's statement, saying all the right things and the things that you would expect him to say uh, on, as he said, an emotional day. You know this had to be a tough day, hey, Dad, for Joe Moorhead. And in a lot of ways, a tough month for him, because when you look at kind of the trajectory, a lot of pressure going into the Egg Bowl, an emotional win with the crazy ending, an impassioned post-game press conference, the postseason after getting to 6-6 six and six and getting to go to Nashville, which was the bowl game that most Mississippi State fans wanted, given the options, but then... Starting with the first bowl practice, multiple players just don't show up because they don't want to practice that day. Right before you break for Christmas, you have a fight that resorts, uh, results in a fractured orbital bone for your starting quarterback. He's not available for the bowl game. You get to the bowl game, get off to a really fast start, lead 14 to nothing, and then the wheels come off. You come home and you think, okay, we've got to get back to recruiting and get ready for next year because I've always already been through kind of the postseason review. I know there's going to be a lot of pressure next year. Let's get to it. And then you're called in on either Thursday night or Friday morning, and you're told that you're going to be relieved of your duties. Yeah. And people now, always they- like to point to buyout. Oh, well, he's getting a bunch of money. Yes, he is getting a bunch of money on the way out the door. We don't know exactly how much that is, but we know it's a bunch. It's got two commas in it, and it's seven figures. So, good on that. But Joe Moore has made a bunch of money. It's not like he's trying to figure out how to feed his family tonight or tomorrow. He wants to be a head coach. Wants to be a head coach in the SEC. Doesn't want that opportunity taken away. So it's a difficult day. Yeah. Anytime you, anytime anybody loses a job, you know, it's, it's, unless you're retiring, it's, it's not going to be a pleasant day for you, you know, and from what I can gather with, with Moorhead, I mean, he spent after the, uh, the Music City Bowl, he spent his time, you know, preparing, recruiting and getting ready for next season. So, you know, he thought he was going to move forward, but that, that what ended up not being the case. So, but that said, from my dealings with Joe Moorhead over the past two years, this statement doesn't surprise me in any one bit. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the word classy. But Joe Moorhead is a class individual, uh, and I, you know, reading this just reinforces what my I already thought about the man. If you missed it just a few minutes ago, I mean, obviously the lion's share of the show today has been about the changes that are happening at Mississippi State. We did the exact same thing, what a month ago with Ole Miss and its change, and there's a little bit of an emotional roller coaster for fans especially when lots of people want to see a change. There's the frustration of feeling like there might not be a change. There's the hope that goes with waiting to find out if there's going to be a change. There's the elation of you get the news of the change, and then there's the apprehension that goes along with the search for the new guy. And sometimes there's disappointment that goes along with the search for a new guy, 
And for some, there's already been some disappointment just five and a half hours after the press conference ended with Brett McMurphy's tweet just a little while ago that Billy Napier is not interested, according to sources, in the Mississippi State job and will not be accepting that job. It's a lot of emotion. It's been it's been a heck of a day. I, I was talking to Joel before he uh, got off the air in one of the breaks. I was like, this feels like signing day. You know, it feels like we've just been going at it all day, and and new stuff has been presented to us all day. Uh, and the the thing is, it's not going to end for a few more days. And, you know, and then when you circle that around, a, a big basketball game that we haven't even had a chance to talk about here in Starville, going to be a very busy weekend for <laughs> yeah. those of us on the MSU beat as we continue to uh, to monitor everything that's happening. Yeah. I guess maybe we should press pause just for a second. Monster basketball game in Starkville tomorrow with Mississippi State hosting undefeated Auburn, the only undefeated team in the SEC and one of two in all of college basketball. Will the crowd be bigger tomorrow as a result of today's news? That's a thought. You know, that people is that a silly question? I, I don't know that it's not a silly question, but I don't know what we're what we're getting people up. If you had a new coach coming, if Mississippi State had announced that Billy Napier was going to be the head coach and he was going to be there tomorrow, then yeah, maybe so. But I, I don't know that, that you know school gets back into school. School starts back up here on Monday, so some of the students should be back in town. I think the crowd should be okay. I don't I don't think it's going to be a sellout by any straight stretch of the imagination, but uh, I, I I don't know. I don't think that today's news helps or hinders the crowd in any way. Um, Ross Dellinger tweets just a few moments ago, not that you would doubt Brett's reporting, but Billy Napier has indeed told those close to him that he has no interest in the Mississippi State head coaching job. Onward, the search goes. Then where did this done deal narrative come from? Grinder Dog sixty six on a message board. No, I don't but know. It, there was that guy's usually pretty on on his stuff there. <laughs> yeah, but there was obviously more to it than that. You think though, because this was the same thing after the Egg Bowl. Was there actually anything to it, or is it more to be wanting to be true? This is not exclusive to Mississippi State fan base. This happens everywhere. I'm just right. saying, you heard the same thing at the Egg Bowl too. Like, I, I just think fans do this all the time. I. If it didn't come from anywhere reputable and like even stuff that people can't report and stuff like that, then it probably was just more wishful thinking, no? Not saying they couldn't get him, but just the, right. the done deal aspect of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just and sort of what Rippy said. Fans and fans and people on the internet, they just do this. They just say, Oh, yeah, I've heard, yeah, it's done. It's done. You know, you don't know anything. All right. I am never and and the rock means ever going to say I know for a fact. If I don't know for a fact, so you know, as far as like coaching predictions, I'll give you my thoughts. I'll be happy to give you my opinion. But you're not going to say, see Brian Haydad tweet out or put on on SuperTalk.fm. Hey, this is what's happening. Book it. If I don't know for a fact, it's going to happen. And I mean, I better, I better really, really know. Uh, Casey says that she is shocked that he didn't say. Thanks to a majority of the fans at Mississippi State in his statement. <laughs> huh. mm. He'll end up being fine. Sometimes things just aren't a good fit. Yeah. Don't 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 be surprised if in the next year or two he's an offensive coordinator from some school that's racking up yards and points. Do you <sighs> I don't even know if that's a good question. I'll just hold off on that one for now. 
Sure. We got to make some picks. We've got. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.